Yo, welcome back to Couch Sessions. Today I'm joined with a legend. You might know him as Hot Caller or the man behind Worstville Records, but today you get to know him as Mark. We talk about inspiration behind Worstville, his inspiration behind Hot Caller, and we talk noodles. If you're new here, don't forget to like and subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening on, as it not only helps the podcast grow, but it also helps the podcast guest grow as well. You can support the podcast directly at buymeacoffee.com forward slash couch sessions. There's some cool stuff over there, like early access to episodes, bonus content, and a lot more. Shout out to Nora for being the Couch Hog supporter. But enough of that. Find that comfy spot on the couch, and let's get it. Hey, Mark. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for coming on and have a chat. I know you're a busy, uh, very busy man and all with your, your label and <laughs> and all that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I'm a little bit, uh, I'm frantic. I'm always frantic, I'd say. I, I probably could just learn to like manage my time better. But, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not the worst thing in the world. But yeah, no, I'm absolutely stoked, dude. And I'm really keen to chat, like yeah. stoked to see what it's all about. So yeah here we are let's do it where did it all start for you in the music industry uh okay on my 18th birthday like literally um i got a gig to play at candy's apartment in king's cross um but i got the gig like before i turned 18 because like we were just putting music up like online and that's how they found us and they got us a gig there and i literally had to wait till midnight to be let into the club so 18th birthday uh 22nd of february 11:59 p.m i was just like stood out there waiting to go in and that's how that's literally how i uh got into the music industry i guess that was the first moment and it was a lot of fun and I'd never look back, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been doing it for as long as I've been legally able to. Uh, and I started off playing gigs um, and then kind of got more serious about production. And the rest is just rolled on from there. Now I'm still working on production, releasing music as an artist, also focusing on, you know, working on the, the label um, and just kind of, getting it as involved as I can. Yeah. How did you come up with the name Hot Caller? Uh, okay. That was <laughs> the name of, do you know, is this why you asked? No. It's, I don't know. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> it's, um, it was the name of the noodle, noodle, like fast food noodle restaurant outside my house, um, which still would be there, like had it like not closed really sadly. It was my favorite noodles in the world. I was at one point in my life ordering them like three or four times a week. Um, and I'd, I'd call them up and they would say, hello, hot caller. Um, and so that was just like impressed into my brain. And I used to make music before, like a lot of house music. Um, and the project kind of just kind of lost gas for me. I was falling out of love with the style of music that I was making um and i kind of wanted a big change um and so i decided to make a brand new project and i was completely stuck to kind of know how to describe it and brand it authentically and i guess just because i subliminally scarred hot caller onto my brain um with lots of like happy good feelings of msg flowing from my blood <laughs> um <laughs> causing amazing memories to happen no i just it it was the only name i could think of and it just felt supernatural so now i'm hot caller and uh i am sad they closed but i'm also kind of glad that i'm now not in competition because they could have gone far with those noodles but i think they just decided to move on maybe because they heard you coming through so they just kind of stepped out yeah of <laughs> <laughs> no honestly i i think they, they i think they just i don't think anything you know, I was keeping them afloat, the amount of noodles I was buying. 
Um, but no, like it's yeah, that that's the name. There's no other meaning behind it, but it's always been uh, it's been a good vibe. So just stuck with it. Did you do any other study for production, or was it just audio yeah. engineering at SAE? Oh uh, no, yeah, just that's my only like formal training. I guess uh, that was a great course to do. It also it was enough, but you don't leave uh, uni ready to go. Like you learn everything you need to learn, but I think the one thing that is the hardest thing to, to learn is just training your ears and kind of getting that experience in. So it set me up, I think, really, really well to kind of approach everything moving forward. Um, but I'd say it's fifty percent getting that kind of technical training for me, um, but also uh there's there's no kind of shortcut or other way of learning other than just getting in there and doing it so yeah when i when i left sae i look back at some of the work i've done and i've just been like oh my god that's so cringe it's so bad this sounds so bad oh i can't believe it. i thought this was good i think that's i think that's the same for literally anyone um but yeah so sae is the only formal training i did yep uh diploma uh, audio engineering, which is like a one-year course, um, and recommend it for anyone. <laughs> yeah, well, I knowing a few people in the music industry, I feel like they need it. You know, everyone relies on other people to mix and master their music. Yeah, and- I think um, mixing and mastering is a super important skill for like any electronic music artist because the lines are so blurred for an electronic music artist um, between where does the creativity stop and where does the mastering start because so much of what you're doing is trying to create brand new sounds or if you're not trying to create brand new sounds you're still trying to deliver a sound in this super exciting way that no one's ever heard before and you kind of really want to blow people away it's a very technical creativity Mm. whereas if you have like a band um or more traditional artist i think it's less important for them to know how to master because they perform their whole craft you know organically and it's done it's recorded and the mastering process maybe won't change you know the overall sound of how everything's coming together dramatically so yeah i think for any electronic music artist it's really important to kind of definitely try and do it as much as you can um but also i mean there's nothing wrong with having a mastering engineer uh or a mixing engineer do your work with you in fact like i master other people's music all the time and mix other people's music i will still sometimes send my stuff that i've mixed and mastered to someone else um because you're always you're always at a disadvantage if you're the only person who's heard the song because you're always gonna be blind to one little thing and you'll always be surprised when you send to someone they'll hear something that can be adjusted and improved and they'll always surprise you with, oh, shit, yeah, that, that sounds a lot better. So it's an important process, but I think we should all try to do it as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I think the formal training definitely prepared me for that a bit better. I think there's a lot of bullshit going on on, like, YouTube and I see a lot of crazy posts on social media, like, telling people to do this or do that and here's this amazing mastering tip. And I think that really sets people on a very difficult path and trying to teach themselves mastering as best they can with this like noisy, like thousands of opinions being spat at them on YouTube. This is the only way to do it. This is the way to do it. You need to high pass everything. Don't high pass everything. Compress this. Don't compress this. Like I think um, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult challenge for to, to kind of wade your way through that. Um, but still, you know, there's a lot of good information out there. So I don't know what I'm saying here. <laughs> you, might <wanna, laughs> you might wanna find a coherent sentence in that. I've basically said everything and uh, given you no opinion. So no, yeah. that's fine. Mastering is like... a very complicated topic, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, I feel like musicians are their own worst enemy at some point. Do you find yourself fighting against your own like engineering side versus your um, production side? Definitely. I think everyone has bad habits and good habits. And my bad habit definitely is that I might get too like focused on some of the mastering and mixing aspects and that will slow down 
like a creative process for me or maybe kind of like miss the bigger picture if I get too like um, kind of sucked into something. So I think that's definitely, everyone has a bad habit. That's definitely mine. And I'm always on the lookout, always trying to remind myself, like step back, relax, don't try and like master this to perfection before you even finished the kick drum because you got to do everything else. <laughs> this is just one aspect of the song. Let's just have a song first and then maybe revisit it. So, yeah, I think, yeah, it's every single person, no matter who they are, will have uh, something like that. They need to kind of always be checking themselves on and making sure they're not falling into that bad habit. And, yeah, that's definitely my guilty bad habit is overmastering my own shit. So don't do that or <laughs> you'll take a year to make a song or longer like I have done. And it's, it's not a good feeling. <laughs> You did say you've come a long way since your last projects, but how far have you come since your 2018 release, I Burn? How far do you think you've progressed music-wise? Um, I guess, like, creatively, I don't think I've changed my overall vision too much. I think um, technically, I mean, that's, a, that's an awkward question because I'm kind of judging myself and going, have I actually improved during that time? I think definitely I've learned a lot um, about like the mixing and mastering side of things and synth design kind of aspects. So I'm really keen to like release my next batch of music because I do feel like it's going to be like a continuation of, of what I've already done. But hopefully, you know, everyone who likes the old sound will be surprised by the new sound but still like it because it still sounds similar enough it's a tough balance to trying to evolve a sound without completely alienating people who liked everything you did before mm. um but yeah i, I can't I, i'm probably the worst judge to ask you'll have to have someone else tell you what they think because i'm always going to say oh my next thing is best my next thing is the best thing my next <laughs> thing is the best thing so like i think that's almost every artist as well it, you ask every artist and like oh my oh, oh that old song no no that's crap this new song this is the best <laughs> song i've ever made in my whole entire life and i think literally every artist has that that mentality um so yeah it, it, that's a loaded question i don't really know what else to say yeah i feel like every artist has this song is the deepest song i've ever made but like the yeah. previous one was their deepest song they've ever made and then it's just yeah. a vicious cycle i guess artists myself included and this probably this, this uh, talking about artists probably extends to so many people and so many professions like they will all everyone will always be like focus on the next thing which i think is probably a nice trait to have really but yeah you're always learning. So you're always going to look like at an old project and be like, oh, I could have done that better. This next thing, this is going to be the next biggest thing I've ever done. So I think, um, look, it's just, that just comes with it. I think we just have to understand that every, that's just how it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. Who's your inspiration? What's my inspiration? Yeah. Like who's your inspiration? Or like what is your inspiration behind Hot Caller? Um, my inspiration behind Hot Caller was, trying to be more authentic to like my own creative, like, I guess what I'm into as a person. Um, I keep referencing my old projects that before Hot Caller. I'm really proud of that. And I'm really happy with the work that I did, but I was making a lot of house music, like I said, and I still like house music. I still listen to house music. Go, Fuck, that's good. But the way I was making it, it felt like I was kind of, it felt like I'd fallen into the trap of, making something because I thought I should make it. And that's what would be like the smartest thing to make. And it started getting a little bit too like mechanical. And I think people might've still liked it. And I look back at it and I still like it, but I just felt like it wasn't actually expressing anything new or, or anything genuine, truly genuine about like what I wanted to do or what I was listening to. And so with Hot Caller, it's been a big rewind and and a big refocus on trying to make uh, the most genuine kind of expression of like the energy that kind of inspires me. Like, I don't mean energy, like a wishy-washy, like um, spiritual way. I just mean like the energy, like the excitement of music. Cause that really is what, what drives me the most about music. I like, I like a lot of like chilled out, relaxed stuff to listen to in the background if I'm just doing some work, but, 
um for me the most like powerful experience i've had from music is anything live all the best memories i'll have and just probably for so many people like you don't remember that time you're sat in your room and a good song came on spotify and you're like oh that's a good song remember that time that you're at a concert and you were probably like one minute away from passing out for any number of reasons but then the best song ever came on and you felt this holy spiritual amazing powerful moment wash upon you and the whole world made sense and it was so hectic and it was so exciting so capturing that kind of energy and kind of always focusing on that as what why am i making a song it's always in the back of my head like what would this make me feel like if i was you know at a rave or at a concert or or experiencing it live and that's very general but i think it has definitely changed how i produce music because before i like i was producing just house music that was very kind of methodical and it made sense and it was just you know the same kind of tempo and i never wanted to make mid tempo music or dubstep or house or anything i know a lot of people will say i'm a mid tempo artist and i never really identified with that because in my head i just sat down and tried to make something not thinking about the tempo i just had a sound in my head made it and i found out what tempo it was after i finished making it um i forgot what the question was and i've rambled on too long but, <laughs> yeah your inspiration but yeah no that's oh yeah well there you go yeah. um my inspiration i guess so back to like that energy and that kind of raw excitement from music um actually a lot of my inspiration i'd say comes from like as cheesy as it is like new metal and like metal from like the 90s and the noughties and and later like when i was kind of growing up and developing and like hearing all this stuff and thinking oh that's sick so i think it's very the music you hear when you're a teenager like that's really drills into you because your brain's like learning and developing and finding out your place in the world so i think that's always going to be there and i'm always trying to like match that energy in electronic music which is i think some metal fans would think is like sacrilegious and like impossible because there's a lot of like tension there um but i'm always trying to kind of match the energy of like a metal song that you might hear um but yeah in that way um i mix that way as well because that's kind of how we learned at SAE like they didn't teach us electronic music production there was like maybe 2 weeks where we covered midi and that was it and that's not a bad thing they just taught us everything else you know the majority of people going there wanted to learn how to mix bands or do live live music you know mixing and you know so everything i do is more like a more traditional like band kind of mentality i kind of try and take that into my my dance music to hopefully make something slightly more unique to me at least yeah <clears throat> well most of your music is pretty unique like your recent one it's definitely interesting <laughs> <laughs> like is that is that like some like backhand like oh, that's interesting that no, i like, get it dude uh, uh, it's it's um, good don't get me wrong but like when you when it, like the last one it was on the uh worst behavior um yeah and yeah that's a rogue song i yeah. i i accept that 100% that was actually made as one of the first songs i made as hot call which is kind of weird because it's so late afterwards and I just never finished it and I finally finished it for the comp because a lot of the artists were kind of excited by the comp they wanted to use it as a chance to put something out that they couldn't really feel like they could put out as a single because as a single when you release a single you're kind of like committing to it saying hey this is me this is my single this is if you look at this single you're looking at me this is what I'm all about as kind of a single is very defining for an artist if you know i think if they're releasing their music strategically at least a single can be very defining and it says a lot about that person um and so i think a lot of artists myself included was like this is the worst behavior comp this is just like a bit of madness let's just put out like the wildest shit that we can a lot of us did a lot of other artists stayed very true to their branding as well and i think they all stayed true to their branding in their own ways but i know a lot of artists took that opportunity to release something a little bit edgier or more rogue because they could kind of get away with it. They didn't have to sit there and go this is my release and this is what I'm all about and every song that you hear after this is going to be just like this song. 
Mm. Um, so like, especially like when I think of like customs release, like that song is fucking mental. Um, it's, and it's like a, it's like a drum and bass style ish, yeah. but then it's obviously at a dubstep tempo and the synths and the sounds are so fucking rogue. Um, same with second degree, like he doesn't really make dubstep. Uh, he makes like mid tempo and electro, but you know, he's got that energy in him and he wanted to make something absolutely cooked. So you have his song on the comp and my song was the same. And I think the same for a lot of other artists as well. And that song is definitely the most cooked song I've made as far as it doesn't really prescribe to a genre. <laughs> um, but it was, it's fun. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. And it's, uh, look, it's not like a big deal. I like really try and focus all of my life on. But the fact of the matter is like when I made Hot Caller, it was made during a massive like bipolar meltdown that I was having. And I'm not afraid to admit that. That's just the truth. I have bipolar and I am inclined to have very powerful decisions all of a sudden in the opposite direction that I was going in. So I finished an entire EP that I've been working on for like a year. And I sit down and listen to it with my girlfriend, Helen, and we kind of both looked at each other and we're both like, this isn't good. Like, it's good, but this isn't it, Chief. And so I just finished, like, I, I just finished working on this thing for a year and I just deleted the whole thing and started again. And that's why I wrote. I wrote, I wrote the beginning of Drowning and never finished it because I was so all over the shop. And I wrote Bad Dog and never finished it because I was so all over the shop. And I just started writing and writing and writing and just whatever was coming to my head, I was just writing it. So you're literally listening to the bipolar breaking of my brain, just spitting out whatever came to it. And then two or three years later, me going, you know what? This song is so close to finished. It's a really rogue, strange experience, but let's just finish it and make it a song. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the story oh, of, um, of Bad Dog. Also inspired by my dog, uh, Cosmo, who is a tiny Pomeranian Chihuahua and um, an absolute like angel, but also an absolute cunt of a dog. <laughs> <laughs> She's evil in her own way. And so, yeah I, yeah, I probably had that on the mind as well because there's a Chihuahua growl in that song somewhere just pitched down um, to sound like a wolf or something. So, yeah, that's... That's the growl that you're hearing in the, in that song as well. Do you feel like there should just be one genre that covers like the bass music, and then the one genre that covers like the house and techno-y music, or should it all still be separate? I don't know. I think I think genres are helpful because it helps people find music they like. I like have to throw my hand up in the air and say, like, I really wasn't around mid-tempo music. Like when I first started making hot color music, I didn't really know there was this like huge community. And at the time it was really popping off as well. Like the community was screaming their existence and I was just not aware of it. And then I started making this music and I was thinking, well, I can't be the only person who's making music like this. And obviously I wasn't. So, you know, I jumped on SoundCloud and just jumped on whatever and just searched and search and search and just discovered mid-tempo that way and I, it was kind of exciting for me because i felt like oh my god there's this whole genre of music that's not house music and not dubstep and not drum and bass and it's 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 all exciting and different to me and so definitely having that as a genre or a label helped me um i think it's just i don't know every, it's like everything it, it's always helpful to have a category but if you as soon as people get rigid with that kind of stuff, then I think that's a little bit, a little bit yuck. Mm. But um, man, it's all helpful, I think. Yeah. Back on your worst behavior compilation, you must have done something right because it hit all uh, hit a lot of number ones on Beatport. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, it was. Look, Beatport. I think I think a lot of artists in like this newer genres of music a newer kind of like breed of artists and younger artists do kind of overlook the importance of Beatport because 
they've grown up in like just streaming, streaming, streaming mentality. Um, and they've not really kind of seen what, what things were like just a, you know, a, a handful of years ago when streaming wasn't as like dominant and there were still a lot of people like buying music on iTunes or Beatport or whatever the case may be. And Beatport has been a hugely powerful um, kind of aspect of how we promote music and how we deliver music because there's, I don't know the stats, I don't know the real numbers, but I do know that there'd be millions of people using that website who will use that website just to find, just to find whatever music, like to discover new music, I should say. Hmm. Some people will use Spotify or SoundClouds. I know because I've done it in the past. I've gone to the or gone to a genre, gone to top 100, and I will definitely listen to every song in the top 100, just click through next, 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 and just within the top 100, I'm listening to it. And if it's good, I'm grabbing that artist, I'm going on their Spotify or their SoundCloud. So we like to focus a lot on, you know, working on Beatport and, and getting that kind of delivery on Beatport. And I mean, what did it do right? I guess we just promoted it really well and all the artists were really, really uh, inspired to, you know, tell their friends about it, tell their family about it, tell everyone about it, because really it, it to get the ball rolling on Beatport, you only need like a, a handful of healthy sales to come through. And once you can kind of get that ball rolling, then you present your song on a, on, on a top 100 mm. uh, because those top 100s, you do get a little bit of uh, like, no one, I don't really know the waiting system, but it does seem like if a song is newer, it's a little bit more generous to like the points that is given to that song when those sales come through. So it's really important to promote a song when it comes out because when it, there's a, it's, it's a little bit more generous to that song with its charting position. So if you can just get a song even in position 99, then you're presenting it to that massive audience of people who will go and look at the top 100 and you can kind of create that snowball effect to, to you know, push it to get other people to buy the song. Yeah. Um, so... I, I, I can't really say what it did right other than we we pushed it really hard. We like to incentivize Beatport sales. Um, you know, we will always try and run a competition or some sort of promotion to to let our audiences know, like, hey, this is actually a really valuable thing to us if you can get involved and here's what you can get out of it if, you know, if, if you do want to, like, I think we did a, we did a merch giveaway, we did a jumper and a t-shirt and a, you know, a sticker pack just to let people know like, hey, this is actually important to us and get behind it. Um, and I think, look, who doesn't like a competition? Yeah. It costs like a dollar eighty to buy a song and you're really supporting, you're not buying a song to give someone money. Like it's not like this is a money-making scheme. You're buying a song to support that artist and give them a chance at competing with major labels and being put in the spotlight Um of other major labels and, and other artists who they might never be compared to maybe a few years down the track, they will be. Um, but it's, it's a really big, it's like a shortcut, it's like a booster shot to, yeah. to give the artists something to a platform to be on just an, an extra platform. And I do find that the songs that have done well on Beatport, uh, do that does kind of carry through really well to additional performance on all the other platforms because mm. it seems pretty obvious that people will discover someone on Beatport that might buy the track or they might just go to their SoundCloud and just listen to everything or go to their Spotify and listen to everything. So yeah, it's 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 basically like a promotion billboard. That's the most important thing. If I see a song in the top 100 and the top 10 or the top five, I'm not stoked because I think I've made money. You might make 10 to 50 bucks, you know, it's once everyone's taken their slice out of the, you know, Beatport will take a fee, distributors take a fee, then there's always a split with an artist or a label. Like no one's doing this to make money in this level. I'm not saying people don't make money. I'm just saying the most important thing is you're not excited because you think you're, you know, going to pay rent this week from it. You're excited because you think, oh shit, I'm on this, I'm on this uh, platform, I'm on this billboard um, where so many people can discover the music, and so that's that's. For us, that's what Beatport's all about is giving the artists a really good platform. And also, like, yeah, it does financially support the release because there's so many costs involved with the release. Any little tiny bit of money helps. But, 
yeah, it's it's such an important promotion tool and just a billboard for the artists. That's how I see it. Well, competing with some of the bigger labels, you know, Worstville has only been around for about a year and you've reached like number one on multiple charts. Like that's that's insane. Like that compilation just took off and knocked a couple people off the platform. Yeah, it was, I think it was a bit of a strategy I had. Um, I don't think it's like a brilliant strategy that no one else has had, but I was really excited to release something that had multiple genres on it because of the way that the genre pages work on Beatport. Um, we wanted to pump the the release, like the album itself in the chart. The big focus was on getting the album up there because if the album charted, then it would bring everyone's release with it in, in the spotlight it created. So I think the secret weapon there for worse behavior was that it was a multi-genre release. So it was, it's, it had that snowball effect like times three, you know, um, because you've got three front pages for each genre. Mm. So if you can get that, it was always my dream to have it uh, on the front page of, of each genre, not because I'm an egotistical megalomaniac, but just because like, if we can do that, then we are giving every artist the best chance that they can have at being put on the front page. Like strength and numbers mentality was very real there. I think that was like the the key juice behind behind that working. Definitely a strength and numbers thing. And that's kind of what the whole Worthful vibe is for me. Like it's definitely a collaborative uh, like project with every artist each time. It's never like I'm the label, you're the artist. Um, well, you know, and see you later. It's it's if I'm releasing a song with an artist, I want to give them the attention and the effort and the collaborative kind of commitment that I would give to myself as an artist. Um, it's almost like a collaborative production. Like, no, I don't write the song with them, but I want to make sure that Worstville is doing so much work with them that they feel so comfortable and happy, like that Worstville is a collaborative partner who is, you know, our the Worstville win is an artist win, an artist win is a Worstville win. It needs to be 100% collaborative and balanced. Otherwise, the dynamic is just it's just toxic. Like if it's not if it's not if it's anything but equal, then it's unacceptable. So mm. it's a really important thing for me is to make sure that Worstville is working collaboratively with every release. Um, so yeah, I want every song to chart. I want every song to get a million streams, or I want everything to pump because it, yeah, it's I'm invested with each artist for every release. It's a very personal experience. So. Ah, that's that's good because you know most labels, as you said, they just take the the track, they go, all right, see you later. Here's a little bit of money, and then they just throw it out there to the wolves. Like going back to <laughs> your stuff, it's just like you put time and effort into every release, and if more labels did that, more uh, up and comers would break through. I think it's a it's a it's a it's a very difficult and careful balance to get right, and I think. It's easy to be harsh on labels as well. And then I know there's a very big like anti-label mentality in the wider music community. And I think it's not without good reason because there's too many examples of a label behaving in a way that is like like exploitative or like parasitic to an artist. On the other side of it, I think it is a case where, yeah, it's unfortunate there's so many bad examples because the role of a label is still quite valid. And I think their labels do have that potential to offer an artist like a huge platform increase um, and offer the artist, you know, you're not alone. You're not, if an artist signs a song to a label, then an artist really should feel like, oh, I can breathe a, a sigh of relief because now it's not all on me, the artist, to care about the song. Now there's actually someone else or a team of people who care about my song as equally as I do. It should be like, definitely a partnership um i think a lot of labels still do a really good job because they've been around for so long and they're so well established that maybe some people might very pessimistically say oh they they just take a song and then they are a little bit more like usury in that way but a lot of labels they still are in a position where if they do 
take a song, they can elevate that artist very, very, very quickly and, and put them on a really big platform. And so even if the deal with the artist signs is a little bit uh, aggressive or extreme, as long as the artist has made a balance decision and go, you know what, that is a really like hectic deal, but I am happy to pay for that because I'm getting a really good push up in my career, then it's it's perfectly valid and I think it's okay to do. Um, for worse, Phil, like I'm very aware I'm a new label and, you know, we are the best worst record label out there and that is something I want to try and stay very true to. I'm aware that we don't have, you know, a following of thousands of loyal fans waiting for the next release with their hands out, ready to buy everything and ready to stream everything. Like we are a growing label. Um, and so for me, that's why that focus on being collaborative with the artists like really uh, comes from because I want to develop Worstville as if you develop an artist. And so when I'm releasing a song with an artist, it's very much, this is going to be equally a great experience for Worstville and, and for you. And if there's any situation where that's not the case, then it just can't, it just can't work. So mm. yeah, I'm very kind of, I'm trying to be very, very conscious of that and always remind myself, like, what can I actually do to make this release better? And I think there's obviously still many labels that are functioning in this way. So it does it does break my heart a little bit to see that there is a very, like, anti-label, like, mentality out there for a lot of artists. But I will say that, again, like, I understand why there is that. And I see so many labels behaving in ways that just, like, give me the major yucks. Um, and I've been an artist and I've signed agreements like way too quickly without really thinking about the consequences of them. I've had songs that have performed really well. Um, they've charted, they've done this, they've done that. They've been, you know, played by X person and Y person who are really big and everyone goes, congratulations on the release. You know, you must be so stoked. And I, and I was stoked at the time because I was thinking, yeah, this is great. My career is exploding. Everything's going so well. And, you know, it's it's eight years later and I'll still get a statement from that record label saying, hey, you still owe us money, so we're not paying you anything. And, like, that's fine. Like, that, they haven't acted inappropriately. That, that's just how the, that's how the agreement was and I agreed to it and I didn't really fully understand what I was kind of, you know, getting myself into um, so with Worsfield, I guess the one thing we're trying to do a little bit uniquely to us is uh, with that collaborative approach, I try and avoid as much as possible. Also, if this is like too technical, let me know. No. Um, but I'm trying to avoid situations where artists are indebted to us because I think that's a really, it's, a, it's very easy for that to be a bad idea. Yeah. There are situations where it can be a good idea because, like I said, there are labels that can provide so much that an artist could never pay for. I think the only problem is when you're in a situation where the, art, the artist is indebted to the label and there's no chance the artist will ever see a single cent return to them from the release because that, that raises a few questions for me personally. Um, so, yeah, and it's, it's, even, it's not even about making money as an artist so much as feeling like you understand what's going on and you know, you're a valid partner in the agreement of the release. For me, it's, I, I don't care if a song makes a dollar or thousands of dollars. I just want to feel like whatever happens, I'm an equally valid partner in, in, in whatever happens to the song and that you haven't lost your control. You haven't lost your, your involvement in the release because yeah, I mean, it's it's a very difficult thing to do, but for, for yeah. us and for me at Worstville, that's what I'm always focusing on. So I like to say, I like to have artists in a position where if there are costs involved, which there always are, because we'll be promoting it uh, with like Facebook or Instagram advertising or any number of things, uh, artworks or whatever the costs may be. We try and provide all that as much as we can so there's, there's nothing to pay. Um, but when there is something to pay, we try and, actually talk the artist through that before a contract is even looked at. And then often, unless it's, unless the artist is really in a position where they don't want any part of it, you know, we'll often pay for things, you know, with the artist 50, 50 upfront. So that if the song ever makes a dollar, you're getting 50 cents tomorrow. Yeah. So 
I, I think that's a much more um, uh, upfront or transparent way of working. So that's how I'm trying to do things. And uh, seemingly it's, it's been going well for us and early artists we've worked with have been, been great to work with and everything's been running smoothly so far, uh, knock on wood, but there's been no, no dramas and uh, I, I can't really imagine there being any moving on in the future because nothing's changing here. So it's all, it's all going well. Well, from behind the scenes, there's nothing but good things about Worstville. So that should be good to hear, I guess. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Thank you. Um, how the hell did you come up with the name, Worstville? Uh, I live next to a suburb called Hurstville. Fair enough. And <laughs> it's <laughs> like, I'm not trying to be like rude to Hurstville. Um, <laughs> it's just, just, you can see, you can start to get a picture that I'm not very creative with my naming. It sounds like maybe I've got some ideas, but. No, it's just what is around me, the noodle shop and Hurstville. So I've got hot <laughs> cola and I've got Wurstville. Um, I don't know. I, I, I enjoy, I, I find a lot of like joy and humor in, in a pessimistic outlook on life. I think it's, uh, it's fun to kind of embrace the shittiness of things sometimes. <laughs> and I wanted to be, I wanted to kind of be an anti-label when I started Wurstville. It, it, it's I, i'm not protesting or rebelling against anything there's nothing to rebel against no one no one said i had to do it differently i'm not i'm not fighting any good fight i just wanted to be the worst record label and kind of own that and be proud of that and actually be like the best record label i could possibly be so that's why i'm worse Phil. <laughs> when you're not because you're a very busy person as it is how do you deal with life the record label um your partner and your um hot caller project like how do you handle all that well i have to say it's unfair to to mention uh my partner in that because she's an absolute hero and without her i probably would have be fucked uh she is amazingly talented and she's a graphic designer and a business owner herself and she has put so much time of her own time into helping out with Worstville or Hot Caller whenever she can. Um, anything that you see from Hot Caller or Worstville, if it looks good, like as a design, it's because she did it. Um, and so I'm so incredibly blessed to be able to work with a partner and a, partner, a life partner as well, who is just a, 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 the definition of professional like she really kind of inspires me to work harder because that question you just asked me i asked that in my head about her all the time how does she do it how because she's you know like i said running a business as well so we kind of definitely that's not part of the equation that's the first thing i can say is how i do it is that's not something that takes up time that is a godsend and, and just an amazing thing to, to be able to, to have. Um, but I guess, how else do I do it? I don't respect my sleep schedule very well, although I try to. And uh, I don't really have a social life anymore, which is kind of okay because it's almost illegal to have a social life right now for obvious reasons, which I'm not arguing against because we got to do the right thing and stay indoors. So yep. uh, that's kind of working in my favor, at least. I have an excuse to be a workaholic hermit. <laughs> um, I had a job and I had to quit it, um, not because I was rolling in cash and I didn't need the job anymore, just because it was the job or this. You know, I started, I had, I started worse for when I was still employed and, you know, it just, it very quickly became obvious that it wasn't working out. I think they, my manager uh, called me and she said, like, you haven't come into work for 160 days. And <laughs> and did I still want a job? Because <laughs> I was like part-time casual. Um, and I didn't realize it had been 160 days. That really struck with me. Um, no, not 160 days, just 60 days. It, I remember six zero. It can't have been 160. Let me correct that, 60 days. And I just 
I was like, it's been 60 days. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, I thought it had been a week. I was like in this like <laughs> monster energy drink induced haze of shit. And I had no idea what the fuck was going on. And I was like trying to work out everything with the record label and get this done, get that done, get this done. And I was just like, yeah, okay, I quit. No worries. Um, but I, I just never came back to work. So I didn't like have an amazing I quit moment or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so far, uh, probably a really stupid move, but hasn't ended me yet. And so we'll keep on going and, 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 and just, you know, seems to be okay. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, I'm not even sure how long I've done that for now. I've really, the secret is just lose track of time. Yeah. Have no concept of time and you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, have you felt like giving up? You know, you've been doing this for a while. Have you felt like just giving up the hot caller project or like just yeah, stopping most Phil? Yeah, that, that kind of must cross. I hope it, I hope that kind of thought crosses everyone's mind so it's not just me. I don't wish anyone to have a bad time, but I hope it's not, not just me. I think it's very natural to just wake up in the morning and be like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this is, this is crazy. This is stupid. Um, because it's not a smart way to make money quickly. I believe in all the projects because I can see the potential and I see them growing and I see that I'm already kind of financially okay. And I'm, I'm hopeful that in the future, things are really going to kind of become more stable than they are already, but definitely you're not doing music because you want to be like financially stable and have a stable life and you want everything to be easy. You know, if you want to have stability and, st- and, and kind of safety in life, then you can just have a job and there's a million jobs you can do. That would be infinitely easier, infinitely more respectable and infinitely safer for you. And that's not a bad thing to do either. I think it's a perfectly valid way of life because then you can invest so much more time in your family and your relationships and your friendships and, you know, experiencing things outside of your studio. Um, you know, that's a really great way to live, I think, and extremely, extremely valid. I, I, I think if you're working in music, there's a lot of potential to, 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 to be successful and to be stable and to have a kind of sensible life but you can't be doing it because you want that because it's, it's, it's not a smart way of doing it. Um, you need to, you need to be, I guess, ready for the bad times. I think every artist is experiencing that right now with like lockdowns. It's a perfect example. I think sadly, we probably will see a lot of artists that might drop off probably before their time because they've been, maybe they would have been absolutely fine dealing with the highs and lows of a music career but then the added stress of a lockdown is just too much and reality is set in and they need to pay a bill they need to live their life and exist um they may not have any choice so that's really tough but i think even without that there's always you know highs and lows and how do i not give up i just guess that i just try and remind myself that inherently life is pointless and everything is stupid and there is nothing like what am i going to do if i don't do this like i'll, I'll just have <laughs> something me and my my girlfriend say all the time which it's not our quote it's like a carl pilkington quote and it's like a problem solved is a problem created there's <laughs> there's nothing you can do to fix your situation because if, if if i quit worseville or quit hot collar and then went back to my job and I'd have a new problem because I'd be sat there itching going, oh, shit, I shouldn't have quit worse. Well, I shouldn't be doing it. Like, do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I guess I just try and remind myself that yeah, there's, <laughs> there's no right or wrong thing to do. As long as you're not hurting anyone and you're not, you're not hurting yourself, then just fucking go for it as long as you can and just, just go hard because there's no point worrying about what if I did this instead because you're not doing it instead. And if you do do that instead, you're going to worry about not doing what it is that you're doing right now that's making you worry in the first place. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. It, it just basically chase your dream if you can type thing. 
Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't even have to be a dream. It just, 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 just whatever you're doing, just do it. Just mm-hmm. do it and enjoy it, and don't, don't worry about it because. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a life coach, as you can tell, because this probably doesn't sound very. This probably doesn't sound very inspiring. Um, but yeah, of course. I think every. I want to. I've woken up and just gone. Fuck this. I, I don't want to do it anymore. Like I'm working so hard. I'm so tired. But then I usually on those days will just listen to the voice inside my head that says fuck this, and I will fuck this, and I will do nothing. And after a few hours, I'll be bored and I'll be feeling anxious that I'm not doing what i meant to be doing and so you just do it yeah. so yeah I, there's no magic pill it's just just take every every hour as you can and and just yeah no well, I, <laughs> I, if you want to i ask that question. Your life. <laughs> because like you said you're not the only one that goes through it so it's good for other people to hear that other people feel like just giving the fuck up and doing a nine to five and i guess it gives them inspiration to keep going because people like yourself and other people I've spoken to, they push through and they are where they are now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think um, like giving up is a very normal feeling. I think you'd be you'd be broken in the head if you didn't think about that. Because if you're thinking about giving up, it's really just a self-preservation thing, isn't it? You're just trying to think about is this the smartest thing to do? You know, you're just worrying about things. And so yeah, uh, definitely um, it's normal. I would say I would hope mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so yeah <laughs> that makes uh, me feel better knowing that it's normal yeah it's not just you don't worry <laughs> <laughs> good um let's get to know you a little bit better um i got a list of questions that i fire at everybody um what's okay. your favorite what's your favorite food man the vegetarian pizza with pineapple from bay street pizza in rockdale oh geez very specific <laughs> it's fucking insane the guy is a god of pizza and um, we all need to support our local businesses right now as best as we can. And I love him as well because he's like insanely strict on the COVID stuff as well. So I don't feel bad. Like I don't feel like I'm like being a super spreader whenever I visit him because like, it's like, Hey, how are you going? Get outside. <laughs> um, so <laughs> like it's, it's, and it's legitimately, I mean, that is, I have to say, that's probably my favorite food right now. If you'd asked me three years ago, it would have been the noodles, but they don't exist anymore. Have you reached out, Don, to figure out where they went and what happened? Uh, look, I don't want to get too like sad and depressed, but I feel like it probably just didn't pan out the way they were thinking. You know, that, a lot of small businesses don't don't succeed, and that's the reality of the situation. And I feel very bad because it's really sad. <laughs> I really like them um, and no one deserves to not to not succeed um, you know they were there they were trying I just think it wasn't the right time and the right place so they're no longer there it's not like it's a massive chain that's moved on somewhere else it's just like a small family run noodle shop and I'm feeling really sad for them right now thinking about it um, they don't know that they inspired me they don't know that I made my name their name I don't know any of that, so I'm never going to be able to thank them or anything. I could only thank them every time I saw them by being like, so thank you. This is the best food I've ever eaten. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. They probably just thought I was taking the piss, but yeah. I wasn't. So. Did you have a regular thing every time you walked in? It's like they see you like, oh, hey, Mark. And then it's like, here you go. <laughs> no, look, I don't want to like pretend they knew me by name. Like I just called and they didn't know who I was when I called. I just ordered the same thing every time. So once I ordered, then they'd know it's me probably. But yeah, just the vegetarian fried noodles with chili sauce. Fucking insane. <laughs> Simple yet effective. Well, I mean, what's your favorite food? Oh, shit. <laughs> um, no, one, no, no one's hit me. It's a rare question. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, it's not more of a food. It's more of a snack, but I absolutely love Maltesers, hey? Yeah, no, fat call. I really like them as well. Like I go through way too many. Yeah, like how many is too many? (laughs) A hundred in a week? Given the chance, if it's a pay week, I could go through two, three boxes of like the Malteser box. Like, you know, that gift box? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And they'll disappear in a day. You know, they they don't last 
I guess though, like you're either a savory person or a sweet person. Yeah. Definitely. I think I'm definitely on the savory. I mean, I love sugar. I'm not like above sugar. Sugar is fucking sick. Um, but I'm a savory dude, I believe. I'm, yeah. <laughs> you're not too sure on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm definitely into my savory choices. Yeah. Uh, PlayStation or Xbox? PlayStation. Yeah. Uh, I had an Xbox and a PlayStation. But I just feel like PlayStation's got the... um, They were there first. They're my first loves between the two. Really, I'm a Nintendo 64 person. But Nintendo kind of like lost their way, if you ask me. Um, They kind of like got too obsessed with the whole family-friendly vibe. Um, So yeah, Nintendo... PlayStation, Xbox, and then PlayStation, and now just just PC overall. Yeah. Does that mean Xbox kind of? Yeah, PC is kind of Xbox, isn't it? I don't want to offend any PC or Xbox yeah. players because I know they're very um, PC is superior. It's the same company. Yeah, it definitely is superior. Once once I went to PC, I was like, oh my god, I've wasted my life. Um, <laughs> but... uh, Disney Plus or Netflix? Uh, Netflix. Yeah. I'm not really familiar with this. I mean, I'm not qualified to make a call because I don't, I don't know about Disney Plus, what they're offering to the world. Um, so yeah, so just I'm, I'm, just think about what every what Disney has brought, like all those companies, and then think streaming service. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm Disney. Kind of scare me a little bit. Um, so I'll just have to say Netflix out of loyalty to my fears. You seem pretty against family-friendly stuff since Nintendo went full family-friendly and Disney is family-friendly. Yeah, that's, like like, that's just, I'm, you've picked up on that after I've said it. And now that you've said that, I'm kind of realizing that there's a theme there. Um, but yeah, I guess I look, I'm not an anti-family. I love Pixar movies, like the kid ones. They're sick. Um, I just, um. I guess I hate family friendly <laughs> shit as well. I don't know what to say. It's, I don't know. I, I'm, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a family guy. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, not really into, um, I don't know what to say. No, you, that's you, fine. You, you get yeah. in, I, I guess you're, you're accessing the psychological parts of my brain that I've not really thought about before. No, it's so, just, uh, just really, interesting considering really myself. Yeah, considering you just said like I was Nintendo, but then they went family friendly, and then you're just like I've never been to Disney. Like I never went to Disney Plus. Yeah, because- yeah. I guess maybe uh, family friendly often goes hand in hand with being watered down bullshit that no one enjoys. So, um, you know, it's very hard to please the whole family, isn't it? With 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 entertainment, because you know. What is there? Yeah. What, what really does that? When you're watching a kid's movie and you're like laughing along and you're enjoying it because maybe there's a kid there who's enjoying it. Oh, that's cute. But secretly you're bored out of your brain and you'd much rather be <laughs> watching like Alien or something. I yeah. don't know. That's my personal favorite movie. So probably like the opposite of family friendly. But um, Let's put our tinfoil hats on. What's your biggest conspiracy? Um, I don't know. I don't really subscribe to any. Um, I'm very boring in that regard. I'm most interested in the Dyatlov Pass incident. I don't know if that's something you're around, but if you're not, you should Google it. Yeah. Um, It's not a conspiracy because, like, there's nothing to draw from it. But it's just a true scenario that happened, um, like in I don't know, like the '60s or '70s or the '80s. I don't know, long ago enough for people to have forgotten about it. Um, but a group of experienced hikers from like a Serbian um, university, uh, Serbian? No, Siberian. Very cold European country. I can't remember the exact details. 
went hiking um, through a mountain range called the Dialof Pass and they never turned up at their location. So they were presumed missing. And when they searched for them, they like found their tents like cut open from the inside and all the hikers were like dead, like hundreds of meters away from the tent in the blistering cold snow, like naked, like missing their tongues and like their organs were like damaged and their bones were broken, but they had like no visible injuries on the outside. Um, and they were all like highly radiated. So that's, I guess, the closest I get to conspiracy theories that keep me up at night. <laughs> um, but it's not really a conspiracy theory because, like, doesn't mean anything, does it? I mean, some people are like, it's aliens or it's a government secret weapon test. I guess that's kind of conspiracy theory. But yeah. I haven't prescribed to a certain uh, interpretation of the event, so it's not a conspiracy, I guess. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw a UFO once, but... <laughs> Um, you know, but nobody believed you. Night. Sorry, but no one believed Anyone you. Believe me? Yeah. No, no, um, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, no, um, no. I was with two other people and my girlfriend and, and a mate, and we all saw it and we all looked at each other and we were like, "That's weird." And then we never spoke about it ever again. <laughs> Denial. <laughs> Yeah, I just what can you do? What can you say? It doesn't doesn't help anything. It's it's uh, what am I gonna do? Get on TV and tell people like <laughs> it was just like this uh, epic ball of light that moved in a weird way and then went up. Probably a weather balloon though. Yeah, that's what they all say. Yeah, yeah. What do you have to say to your ever going fan base for both Hot Caller and Worstville? Thank you. <laughs> is the first thing <laughs> that comes to my mind i think um it always makes me feel very blessed to know that there's even a single person out there who just would hear something and go that's fucking sick because like that's how i feel when i hear other people's music and so if i've made someone feel like that then that's just like the craziest feeling in the world like it never gets old even if it's just one person if it's more than one person it's like exponentially grows with like how stoked you are um it's the craziest feeling in the world when anyone says that they like a sound and you don't if you don't if, if it's someone you don't know like it's it's a, if it's if it truly is someone who would you describe as a fan which i always feel I don't know if it's, I'm, I'm not uncomfortable saying that. I just, maybe it's just like part of me that just, I feel like if anyone would say they're my fan, I'm like, no, you're the sickest cunt in the world. You're my best friend. Like, can we go <laughs> get drunk together? Like, it's just the best. It's just the craziest feeling to know that anyone would fucking feel anything for essentially some beat boops that you put together in your head on a computer and send out to the world. It's the, it's the craziest thing. So just obviously, and always thank you. Um, and I literally can't wait to release the next thing. And I really hope that you you love it like you love the other stuff. I, I never want to let them down. And I always just want to thank them um, yeah. because yeah, it's just the best feeling in the world. And what about to the people who aren't following you or supporting Westville? What do you have to say to them? Um, that call? <laughs> <laughs> you can't force someone to be your friend can you um i don't know i i would say to them hey check it out see if you like it <laughs> like what can i say to them it's, it's i don't know it feels kind of aggressive to say anything else like if you had to have a say like a 30 second pitch to pitch hot caller or worstville like to get someone on board as a like fan, as as you would say. Okay, um, if you like high energy or just any kind of music with guts that is electronic, then we fucking uh, do that, and you should get involved. <laughs> Straight up, I'm gonna quote that one. <laughs> 
I don't know, dude. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will, if I'm going to do any kind of press release or any kind of pitch, you know I'm spending three days, like, working it out. So to, to get me on the spot like that, it's pretty rogue. But, yeah, um, I really, I just really hope that, you know, I really just rely on the music uh, selling itself. You know, you've, you've, people know what they like. And uh, it's very easy to convince people of a whole lot of things. But it's hard to convince someone like, hey, you like this. Like, this is your type of music. So it really has to kind of speak for itself. Otherwise, you're kind of fucked. Um, so, yeah. No, that makes sense. It's just like, here, listen to this. You'll like it. Yeah. <laughs> you're just making me, I don't know, I recently just was re-watching um, People Just Do Nothing. Have you seen nah. all of them? Are you up to date? Oh, okay. I don't think I've well, seen any yeah. of it. Never heard of it, actually. Oh, shit. Like, really? What's Holy it on? Shit, dude. Where can I find Change it? Change your life. It's a, it's a UK, like, comedy, drama, like, documentary. Uh, yeah, look it up. Get into it. Um, if you're into music industry type awkwardness, then... Um, That's it. I can't say <laughs> anymore, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going nowhere because, yeah, I uh, I don't want to describe the whole Give three seasons that led, led to the moment that I'm referring to where they're pitching their music to like a record label and it's like the most painful thing I've ever watched because you can kind of, they're very good at capturing uh, the real cringe of self-promotion. <laughs> Selling yourself as an artist. Yeah, yeah. Mark, man, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, dude.